Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. It is May. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we are kicking this off with a bang today. I'm excited. Um, Any of you out there who are struggling with an eating disorder or maybe don't know if you have an eating disorder, maybe have disordered eating, body image issues, or if you're a loved one who um, is watching someone struggle with an eating disorder, this is definitely the show for you today. Um, I have a guest on here who you definitely need to uh, listen to. I'm excited. I don't want to spend too long in the intro because she has a lot to say, and I know you're going to want to take in everything that she has to say. So um, I'm going to tell you who she is. I'm super excited. Like I said, Uh, we have the founder and CEO of the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. Her name is Joanna Kandel. And uh, she's done so much to help uh, the eating disorder field. Um, She is the author of Life Beyond Your Eating Disorder. And not only did she found the Alliance um, after a decade-long battle with various eating disorders, um, but she's brought information and awareness about eating disorders to hundreds of thousands of individuals nationally and internationally. In addition, she facilitates weekly support groups, mentors individuals with eating disorders and their families throughout their treatment and recovery, and helps thousands of people to gain information and find the help they need. She's a passionate advocate for mental health and eating disorders legislation, and she spent a lot of time meeting with numerous members of Congress and was part of the first ever eating disorder roundtable at the White House. She's a proud member of the Interdepartmental Serious Mental Health Coordinating Committee meeting under the Department of Health and Human Services, a member of the Board of Directors for the Eating Disorders Coalition, and a member of the Eating Disorders Leadership Summit. She has received many awards for her ongoing outreach and advocacy work, including the Jefferson Award for Public Service, Academy for Eating Disorders, Meehan Hartley Leadership Award for Public Service, and Harlequin Enterprises More Than Words Award. She has appeared on national television programs, including NBC Nightly News, The Today Show, and profiled in the New York Times, Cosmopolitan Magazine, and Glamour Magazine. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into bringing Joanna in. All right. Well, Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm very excited. Um, you, uh, We're going to have a great conversation. So May is a Mental Health Awareness Month, and you're kicking it off for the show. And so with that, I'm excited just being a psychologist, um, but also as an eating disorder specialist. I'm really excited because... Um, you know, you're the founder and CEO for the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. And, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to have you on here just to discuss things and uh, bring much more awareness to eating disorders. So um, I'm just wondering, could you tell us a little bit more about the National Alliance for Eating Disorders? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the National Alliance for Eating Disorders or the Alliance, we were formerly known as the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness. That was our little kid name. Um, we were founded over 21 years ago and we have become the leading national nonprofit organization that does everything from, um, you know, education. We do a lot of educating our frontline providers, doctors, nurses, dentists on how to recognize and refer eating disorders because even though eating disorders affect millions and millions of people. About less than 20% of all healthcare providers are given any information on how to properly recognize and refer. And what that means is that number one, people are struggling in silence. And number two is, is individuals um, often do not get diagnosed or it can be very unsafe for many people to you know, go into their providers and to literally be turned away because they don't fit that archaic stereotype of who develops eating disorders and, and what they look like. So that really is our goal to arm our frontline responders, doctors, nurses, dentists, teachers on how to just recognize and refer. Our job is not to make them specialists. There are other organizations that um, do that. We just wanna give you information to not do any harm and to help with connecting to care. So that's one of our, our big pillars. Our second big pillar is referrals to care. And so we've built the largest, um, robust, inclusive and comprehensive referral database specifically for the treatment of eating disorders. Um, so we have um, findedhelp.com, which is a website that's actually separate of our, our Alliance website that people can go in and put in their zip code. They can put in level of care, the type of insurance, and it'll generate list of providers and treatment centers that actually are helpful for them. Because, you know, for so many folks that I've talked to is, you know, there might be a provider that's phenomenal or a treatment center that would be the perfect fit. And yet, because it's cost prohibitive, because they might not take insurance, it, it's like, a, like it's not going to happen. And so we really want to arm information with to individuals with really good resources. Um, and on the flip side of that is we have our helpline that's manned by fully licensed and specialized um, clinicians. Actually, we have therapists, psychologists, and dietitians that work on our phone lines. Um, and we feel that it's really important so that individuals can get really supported and advised by individuals that are, that are professionals. Um, so that's our, our second big tier. And then our last big tier is our support groups. So we hold a lot of free therapist-led support groups um, for individuals experiencing eating disorders as well as their loved ones. And again, um, you'll see it's a theme within the Alliance. We um, try to always use um, clinicians with everything we do just to really have that, that safety um, and many of our, our clinicians are individuals of lived experience. So they also have that, 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 that peer in a sense to bring to the table. So that's a little bit about what we do. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. it's great. Like, uh, you know, I know so many people, uh, you know, I see on social media, people are saying, oh my gosh, I can't find any resources. I don't know if I have an eating disorder or, um, you know, so I'm wondering how come people haven't heard of the Alliance that, you know, for me, that's frustrating. I'm always referring people to you guys, but yeah. people just haven't heard of it. So I'm wondering, um, what can we do to spread the word more? I know like the podcast, of course, and that's why I'm yeah. excited to have you, but, um, 
what do you think we need to do more to get people to, you know, find you and um, spread the word to other providers? Yeah. I mean, honestly, that is the million dollar question that we are always <laughs> talking about. You know, it's, um, you know, I think when people find out everything we do, they're, they're actually taken aback because they're like, how did I not know that, um, you know, this resource exists? Um, and truthfully, I think it really comes down to, I mean, I hate to say this, but like, the nonprofit field is just the same as a for-profit field. It's all about having the funding to be able to get the word out. Um, and so, you know, that's why we love to do things like this podcast. Like, you know, we have a very um, active social media um, channel, um, you know, and we just need, you know, clinicians, for example, that are on um, Find ED Help to spread the word to other, you know, fellow clinicians and say, hey, like, it's free to be listed. You know, one of the things that was very, very important to me is I didn't want to create like a psychology today type of a database because as helpful as it is, it's also exclusive, meaning that there's a charge to be listed. There's also advertisements on it. When I created Find ED Help, I wanted it to be evergreen. I want it to be as inclusive as possible, as unbiased as possible. Um, and we really go the extra mile to make sure that folks that are listed on Find ED Help, like actually are specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. So we're asking them screening questions. We're asking them about their experience, how much of their practice includes eating disorders. Um, so I think just we need our community to continue to spread the word and um, you know, hopefully be able to continue to flood channels to say, hey, we're here and we're here to help. Um, so and I'm just wondering, why do you think there's still lacks, I guess, education in medical school and nursing school and eating disorders. Because I know for me, that is a huge frustration. I came from working at a hospital for 15 years and, and just, oh gosh, I'm sorry, but it was so frustrating for me. Um, so I don't know. what do you, What's your take on that? You know, I, I feel your frustration completely. Um, I think it's something that was just so shocking to me. And I think back, because um, we do a lot of work in residency programs across the country. And I remember I was um, at, um, I, I was in New Orleans, I was speaking to 200 um, say, psychiatry residents. So we're talking about like people that will absolutely be seeing eating disorders. And out of the 200 people, when I asked how many of you have um, gotten adequate training on eating disorders, three people raised their hand out of 200. I asked how many of you had had any, any information whatsoever. And they said, just when we went over the DSM, that's it you know, and you think about what are they being taught? And, you know, what is the DSM like teaching us, you know? Um, and what was really scary was that I think the reason why it doesn't get a lot of, you know, awareness, attention, I think it's getting better, but I, I think the reason why is, and this might not be a very popular opinion, is that, you know, eating disorders for good or for bad, even though they, they do not discriminate against who they, who they affect, they're still sort of known as a female-based or female-identifying-based disorder. And we know factually there's less funding, there's less education surrounding things that affect females. So that might be one side of it. I think the other side of it is this misinformation around that eating disorders are a disorder of choice or vanity, even though we know that they are biopsychosocial illnesses. We know that they are genetically brain-based illnesses. And I think until we continue to do the job we're doing and, and pushing the needle forward and saying, actually, you know, these are serious mental illness. We need to be very aware of, of the lethality rate with it having the second highest lethality rate of all psychiatric disorders. 
And it's not just the lethality rate. It's also just how ill people get, how they cannot function in life, how much the eating disorder steals from the individual as well as their loved ones. Because eating disorders do not happen in silos. They don't just affect the person that's going through it. It affects the loved ones as well. So I think a combination of all of that, and I think the lack of I think it's like a chicken and the egg. The lack of the fact that we're educating means less awareness, lack of research money, all of that plays a part into it. Yeah, I mean, that's what's talking to me, right? Because like you said, psychiatrists are in mental health departments, at least where I worked, and they're the ones who you know get re- the referrals for medication, which is oftentimes part of treatment. And so if they're not getting educated on eating disorders, that is a huge problem. And, you know, I work with teams approach, right? Like part of the standard of care is, you know, send somebody to a medical provider for vitals and all sorts of things, EKGs. And if they're not getting any education in this, like that is also a huge problem. And I don't know about you, but I've heard so many of my patients say like part of what has triggered them is things that were said to them by a medical provider or a nurse that, you know, I know they don't mean to say anything harmful, but just the education about what to say or not to say in a medical appointment and how the impact of getting weight or just certain things can really have a negative effect. Oh, it's tremendous. And and then we're not even taught, like we haven't even touched on or incorporated, you know, like fat phobia or weight stigma within the mental health community, within the medical health community, excuse me, and the mental health community too, let's be real. Um, But it's, it's really terrible. Like how, you know, I, I live in the South Florida area. We have a huge, a huge amount of, of clinicians that specialize in eating disorders down here. We have one physician, one physician that we can send to. And like, I'm constantly trying to, you know, go into residency programs or, or young provide, like young clinicians, uh, young physicians, I should say, to be like, please, can we educate you? Can we, can, can you please learn? Because very directly put, there's no place that's safe for a lot of our patients to go where, you know, things like they don't have to be weighed every single time they go to the doctor, unless there's like the um, need for it. Um, you know, uh, I still to this day, as someone of lived experience, I've, I've lived my life beyond my eating disorder. I consider myself recovered for uh, over two decades. I still do blind weights. For me, like knowing my weight, it, I'm not active at all in my eating disorder, but for me, knowing my weight is not going to be helpful. It's not going to do anything for me. But even the things that I experience to this day as someone who is living my life without an eating disorder. I also, you know, show up like, you know, with a lot of privilege, like I am thin bodied. I, you know, I have a, I'm, I'm fully able, I'm, I'm cis, I'm het, I'm Caucasian. And, you know, even the amount of pushback I get and they know what I do for a living when I'm like, they're like, well, why do you want a blind weight? And it's like, you know, and I know I can use my um, voice, but I think of all of the folks in our community that are not able to use their voice and yet it happens to them. And that's not fair. They did not choose to have eating disorders and yet they are facing all of these obstacles every time they go to the doctor's office. Absolutely. And I I, I wonder if, I don't know what you think about this, but I still wonder when is the BMI going to just be gone because it says so much damage and it means nothing. Nothing. And it's so harmful. And, you know, I, I remember I was working on legislation um, right around the Michelle Obama, let's move 
mm-hmm. stuff came up. And I remember working, we were working with, um, you know, the FDA, we were working with the CDC and we brought up the um, BMI and everyone, even the World Health Organization has said like the BMI is bullshit. You know, it really is, excuse my language. Um, but it oh, is. I love that. It but, is. They, but they don't have another, they just don't have another indicator and that's what it is. But like, we've been using this for 200 years, like, and we know it's terrible and it's so harmful. I think it's time for us to find something else, you know, and really continue to lean into like a health at every size approach mm-hmm. and to realize that health is not, your weight does not equal health. Um, there's so many other indicators. Yeah, no, oh gosh. I'm just thinking yesterday on my Instagram, I had, I put uh, a post that said just that. And I got all this pushback from people saying, of course, you know, weight and health are, you know, you know, connected. How could it not be? What's wrong with you? And I was, I was like getting so angry. So I was yeah. like responding back, but I'm like, but it's so pervasive, this belief. And it's like, how do we counteract that? Because as you said, in this toxic diet culture we're in, mm-hmm. that is so prevalent. And it's just like, gosh, how do, how do we overcome this? It's awful. By having conversations and, and changing and, and like changing imagery by by allowing other belief systems to the table, by bringing folks that don't ordinarily get access to a microphone to have their voices heard. You know, the needle is moving forward. I definitely believe that. Of course, when you have no patience like I do and like want like everything to change overnight, like it can get a little overwhelming, you know, but I, I think it's continuing to show up continuing to be that voice, continuing to post exactly what you did yesterday on, on Instagram, because for all the, all the voices that, that said, that responded, like maybe negatively, there are people that are listening that needed to hear that, that it will change something for them. I was um, watching, um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tess Holiday. She's done some work with the Alliance and, and I just happened to be watching an interview that she did several years ago. Uh, she was on the cover of um, Cosmo UK and I think it was an interview with like Pierce Morgan and he basically started ripping the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan into pieces because he's like, you're advocating for that O word and all of that and how, you know, shame on you. And the editor-in-chief of Cosmo turned around and she said, whatever you believe is your belief system. All I know is that for all the, the pushback that we're getting from you is there are so many people that saw that cover and seeing someone as fabulous as Tess Holiday and were able to have a sigh of relief today that we're able to be like, I like, I can see myself. I'm represented. It's okay to be me. It's okay to look like me. Um, and so I think just continuing to have this conversation is how we, we, we move the needle forward. So that's cute. So since you started the Alliance, what have you seen change over time? Oh, a lot. Um, I think even how readily we talk about eating disorders, you know, I mean, 21 years ago, no one was saying the word eating disorders. I don't think, you know, I think we still have so far to go, but even the depictions of of what eating disorders are and who they look like. I mean, when I started the Alliance, it was, you know, that lifetime after school movie and that was it. Um, Now we know that that's not true, right? We know that eating disorders do not discriminate between age, gender, race, you know, class, sexual orientation, um, ability, neurodiversity, body shape, size, like no one's immune. And I think awareness, conversations, you know, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't get a ton of Google alerts that eating disorders have been discussed somewhere in the, in, in the web. And I think that, you know, social media has obviously contributed 
not so well. Like we know that now with like the Facebook files and all the findings that have come up. But also when you look at the flip, take a look at what social media has allowed us to do too. You know, when the world shut down during the pandemic, I mean, the fact that there was, you know, um, meal support on Instagram every hour on the hour for folks around the world, right? That even though we were physically separated, we were still not socially isolated. Um, so yeah, I think that that's probably some of the biggest changes that I've seen. Um, and there's a little bit more access to care. We have a long way to go though. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, you know, you brought up something a, a little bit ago about how eating disorders don't just affect the people that have them, but their loved ones. And um, one thing I love about the Alliance is their support for people who are, are the loved ones who for people who have eating disorders um, and the education that you provide for those, you know, parents, siblings significant others. So I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know that's a huge resource that's lacking out, you know, in the real world, um, the education yeah. that and the support. Yeah, no, uh, families are a huge part and families can be blood or, or not blood, right? Families can be who we, who we bring into our lives. Um, you know, one thing that I know for sure is that when I was born or when I had my daughter, I never got a yellow for dummies book that said, in case your your loved one has an eating disorder, read this. Like I never got that. So, you know, so often, and I say this because we have this amazing Wednesday night, seven o'clock PM Eastern time, virtual loved ones support groups. And we have, like you talked about, we have parents, we have partners, we have kids, we have siblings, we have teachers, we have the whole gamut that come to the group and it's such a beautiful space, um, is that sometimes the things that we think are the most helpful end up not being so helpful. And the other thing that that, that we, we see all the time is like this, uh, this divide between physical health and mental health. Like, you know, we have this family that, that, um, that comes to group and they have two kids. One of them, unfortunately, struggled with childhood cancer. And, you know, the mom talks about the fact, you know, when my, when my daughter had cancer, I mean, there was like a meal train, there was casseroles at my door. There was like, everyone was doing everything for, for us and our family. And luckily that the child is, is in remission, they're cancer free. The other child ended up with an eating disorder. And she said, there were no casseroles. There were no meal trains. It was like, our family was almost shunned. Nobody wanted to do anything. So it's very lonely going through this. And loved ones need as much support as the individual that's experiencing the eating disorder. So we try to be that, that floaty, that oxygen mask to be able to arm them with the tools to be able to walk alongside their journey to recovery because um, it takes a support system. No one should have to recover. I would actually say no one can recover on their own. And loved ones need to have the information to be able to help support their loved ones through the journey of recovery. Oh my gosh, absolutely. That is, I mean, you nailed that one so clearly. You know, when I work with families, I just hear so much devastation, especially if somebody has to go into, like their child has to go into residential um, and a parent may have to, you know, go live somewhere nearby mm -hmm. to be with them. It can really be devastating for families and just kind of going through that or, you know, I don't know, 
all of what you hear, but I know holidays are so difficult for families and how to navigate those with food and celebrations and all sorts of things can be so difficult. So getting the education and support around that and how to, you know, what to say, what to serve, all sorts of questions people have, it can be really, you know, helpful to have a support group and know what to say, what to do and all, all, you know, because I think there are a lot of questions. Oh, for sure. And, you know, for me, and I, it was funny, I was I was doing this podcast several months ago and, and the amazing human that was interviewing me said, it's almost like your experience became the um, blueprint of the Alliance, which in actuality it did. You know, I mean, I think our experiences make us who we are for sure. And for me, when I was going through my eating disorder, I just wanted to be in a space. I didn't know that virtual spaces existed at that time, but I wanted to be in a space where individuals spoke to my language, where I could feel seen and heard and someone would just look at me and say, me too. And, you know, that's, I think it's important for the individual that's going through it, but also for loved ones, because, you know, it's a game changer when someone can, can relate to what you're going through. And I am so grateful for all of our, our clinical providers out there. They are saving lives. They are the, they are the game changer. And I also want to just say there's something to be said for that person that has a lived experience that's going through the same thing as you to be able to say, oh my gosh, I totally know how you feel. Or, you know, even like things like we hear in like friendly friends is like, I'm so frustrated with this situation. And I know that they have an illness, but I'm still frustrated. And just to remind them that, you know, you would have the same frustration if they were dealing with a physical ailment. You get to be frustrated by this. It doesn't mean that you love them less. It just means that you hate that your loved one is experiencing an eating disorder, that an eating disorder happened to them. You get to be angry. You get to be overwhelmed. You get to be tired. You get to be all of those things. Oh my gosh. That's so, yeah, just to normalize it, normalize the experience and not feel alone in it. I think that that's one of the biggest things about group and support group, just to mm-hmm. be amongst people who are, I guess, your tribe, right? Yeah, it becomes your family. I, you know, that's one of the most beautiful things that have happened, you know, since, and I mean, the silver lining of the last few years is, you know, from a Friday to a Monday, we had to shift our 26 in-person groups to virtual groups. And it's just been incredible. I mean, in 2021, we had almost 19,000 participants in our support groups from all 50 states across the country and 71 countries around the world. And I got an email just before this this um, recording from one of our members of our group where another member happened to be passing through the city in which he lives in and they had coffee together and it was just and they sent me a picture and they were like we wanted you to see this and it just I sat at my computer crying because I'm like oh my gosh it is a game changer when you don't have to go through this alone and that's really why I still show up to our groups all the time they they fill up my cup in ways that I can never put into words. And it fuels me to do the work that we do day in and day out. Now, I'm just thinking for someone who might be thinking about, okay, how do, how would I get involved or join one of these groups? Um, like, how can they actually do that? If they're thinking, oh gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and would love to share that 
all of our services here at the Alliance are free because we never want them ever to be, we never want cost to be a barrier to care. So if you go to our website, which is allianceforeatingdisorders.com, or you can follow us on any of our social channels, which is at Alliance for ED, you can see the full list of groups. We have individual groups. We have an amazing pro-recovery LGBTQ plus group. We have a loved ones, friends and family group. And we also have a support group just for moms. Um, and it's just, it's such a wonderful, wonderful community. And we're looking to add another two virtual groups and hopefully in a few months go back to in-person as well. So I'm um, really looking forward to just having one day. My my big dream is to have a virtual group available every single day um, so that no matter where you are in the world and no matter what you're going through, you can always um, drop in and get support. So fingers crossed it'll happen soon. <laughs> You know, I'm wondering if listeners are going, okay, so how would I even be able to have a voice in these groups if they're so big? And I'm wondering, like, what would the experience be like, say, like if I was a parent wanting support, like how many people are in these groups and like, how do you have the ability to speak up or say something? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, so when I share the number, I'm sure listeners are going to be like, oh God, I'll never go. Um, but I promise you it works beautifully. Um, so some groups have 60 people in it. Some groups have 116 people in it. Last night, our Monday night virtual support group had 116 people in it. Um, and we, I, I mean, we got through every single hand last night of folks that wanted to share. Um, we bring up topics. So so individuals submit topics to the group leader. Um, we go through topics in the, in the friends and family group. Um, we do a little bit more psychoeducation just because you have individuals that are literally just found out that their loved one was diagnosed with an eating disorder that day. And then you have family members that have been walking this journey for decades. So you have all levels. And what's really phenomenal about support groups is the folks that have been in there for a little bit longer can almost take on this like mentoring role of like, this is what we've been through. This is what was helpful. Um, and then of course you have oversight from the clinicians in the group that can just make sure that the information is, is accurate and also safe. So um, we have, a we do hold a lot of rules in our group, meaning no specific numbers, rituals, um, diagnoses. Um, we also ask folks to not share specific, like how long have you had an eating disorder for? And, you know, sometimes people are like, what do you mean? And it's, there's even that competition, right? Of like, well, I've had my eating disorder longer than you, and I might not be that, that severe. No matter where you are in your journey to recovery, you're welcome in our support groups. Um, and you're, and, and we say to people, there's no right way to do group. If you want to share, we would love to hear your voice. If you don't want to share, you don't have to share. If you want to write and chat, you can write and chat. If you don't want to, you use group in the manner in which works for you. And so what if somebody's going, I don't know if I have an eating disorder. I'm kind of confused. I don't know if I'm just failing at dieting or if I'm just kind of wondering, like, I'm not sure. Yeah. And I, and, you know, oftentimes we'll get that question or one of the, the um, facilitators will, will get that question. And sometimes they will, you know, answer the um, question in a, in a DM. And oftentimes we encourage them to call our, our, our toll-free helpline and they can have a conversation with one of our therapists. That's one of the benefits of having therapists and dietitians answer the phone that, that they don't necessarily do an assessment because we are not, we're with borders and everything. We're not able to do that. 
but we can do a lot of heavy psychoeducation to be like, well, these, this is what, you know, individuals that experience certain types of eating disorders, this is what they'll, you know, and then here are some names of referrals. If you want to take that next step to get the diagnosis, to get more information, to get all of that. So that's actually a great question. So, um, you know, I guess that's the difference between seeing an individual for like professional help versus what you're providing. So if somebody's thinking, oh, I can call and get um, help from a nutritionist from the Alliance versus help from a nutritionist, say, outside of the Alliance is yeah. that, what's the difference there? Oh, so we're not, we're not giving any nutritional advice. We're not, mm-hmm. it's more of, again, it's more education-based of like, okay. you know, here is some, some factual information about ARFID, for example, right? Like here are, this is, you know, signs and symptoms. This is a DSM diagnosis. This is, you know, um, we don't do any type of therapy, any type of specifics. Um, we just do more of like that um, educating. And we, if, you know, I also want to stand in the fact that only 30% of individuals ever get access to treatment. So I really want to talk, I want to say that. And when we're able, we are always referring out. We want to make sure that individuals can get into the practices and the treatment centers if needed of the amazing providers that are going to help them on the journey to their recoveries. No, that's fantastic because I think that's a great distinction to have of what you, the Alliance can and can't provide for people. Um, Yes. Not to think like, oh, this is going to be in lieu of therapy or professional. Yeah. Oh no. And we even say our support groups, they are support groups, you know, they are not in lieu of individual therapy. They're not in lieu of, if you have access to therapeutic groups, they are an adjunct. We sort of consider ourselves part of the treatment team, um, you know, and we also want to stand in the fact that for many people that don't have access to care, support group is all they have, you know? And so we're always, always, I mean, numerous times throughout the day, we are throughout the the group, we're putting in our referral information. We're putting in, um, you know, our phone number of like, we're here. And I will tell you, you know, my team is incredible. My, my referrals team, my resources team that's headed up by Dr. Allie Weiser, they will do everything in their power to try to find care, even if it's not on Find ED Help, whether it's not on one of our other three da- da- like databases, they will call into the community. They will do everything they can to try to connect to care. And unfortunately, there are times that we just can't connect, but it's few and far between because they will do everything in their power to help them. And I have to say, like personally, I've experienced you reaching out to me, um, trying to connect me with people. Yeah. And I, I find that just amazing. So I think you, but all the work you're doing is fantastic. And so I was, like I said, I was super excited to have you on just because yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like um, I, I'm so grateful to the support you've provided to my patients for their, you know, the support for their loved ones, just because I think oftentimes, at least in my work, it's a lot to impart the information. And so it helps me to just get to the clinical work I need to get done when you are providing the education to yeah. the loved ones and you know the outside support to the people I'm working with. So um, to any clinicians listening out there. <laughs> yes, I think you that's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, no. And you know what? There's, there's also something to be said, you know, how we talked about when you have like, like a mom to a mom, for example, of... You know, I mean, we have an amazing facilitator. Um, her name is Sheree Monarch. She's a mom of lived experience. 
and we talk about like refeed, like refeeding, right? And she's like, you know, if your if your kiddo has to like be eating, you know, and and forgive me for talking about specific foods, but this is such a great example. Like, you know, the fettuccine chicken Alfredo, like don't sit there with like a dry salad with like grilled chicken on it and expect your 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 little kiddo to try to like, you know, like if you are able to and, and want to show up for the fact that where some of us are not able to eat certain foods, I understand. Um, but do it with them. Like, you know, watch what, like, and it, it sort of lands differently when it's a mom talking to a mom as opposed to a clinician talking to a loved one. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. definitely heard a lot. I mean, and to some extent, I feel the same thing. Like I, you know, I, I'm not a clinician, but, um, you know, someone of the experience and I will sometimes clinicians will just call me up and say, we just talked to my client for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And I'm like, sure, what's going on? And they'll tell me a little bit about, and then like, they'll call me a week later and say, I cannot believe like what you said connected with them. We've only been talking about it for a year in session. And I'm just like, it's not that I said it. It's just, it's this connection of someone of lived experience that has walked in their shoes to be like, I know it sucks. I know recovery is hard and painful and it's going to be possibly the hardest thing you ever, you ever will do. And I promise you, it is the best thing you will ever do. Like just having that connection is just sometimes a game changer. And I think sometimes hearing it from multiple sources too can maybe just validate it. Yes. Um, yes. I think that's so true. Like, you know, you have a lot of clout, obviously, for your position as well, right? You've learned experience, but I mean, look at who you are. So that must be much more meaningful too. Um, so, and, and, you know, I have to say this to people too, like um, I also am recovered. And so um, I, I became a specialist because I was in, when I went through recovery, I never had a therapist who could look me in the eye and say, hey, I've been there because it was scary, you know, doing all these things and, you know, being told, hey, you know, trust me, you do this and you'll be fine. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> There's something yes. to it from hearing it from somebody like yourself and saying like, you can, you can get through this, right? Yeah. And, and honestly, like, you know, one of the things that I am a little honest to a fault with folks where it's like, you know, recovery is not sunshine bunnies and rainbows, you know, you don't recover to utopia, you recover to life. And there's some good days and there's some not good days, but I will tell you, and this is, I've heard a lot of individuals that have, you know, that are in recovery, recovered, healed, whatever word you connect to, you know, will say that their best day in their eating disorder was far worse than their worst day in recovery. And, and I have to say that, you know, um, I know what my recovery has given me. I know what I've been able to experience and have. And, you know, I also will tell you that not every day is a great day. And I don't mean I'm active in my eating disorder. It just means that, you know, I, like for me, it was never just my eating disorder. It was the eating disorder. It was anxiety. And, you know, the last two years have not been fun on anxiety. I don't think for anyone, but particularly people that experience anxiety, but to show up with vulnerability and to show up with honesty and say, yeah, time is a little difficult right now. And I'm going to model healthful behavior. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to make sure that I see my therapist. I'm going to take care of what I need to take care of. And I'm going to be a human being that's being human as messy as it is, but it's so damn worth it. 
was so well said. And I love that you're another voice that I've had on here that says you can reach recovery because I hate that myth out there that says like, once you have an eating disorder, there's always a part of you that's going to struggle with it. And so again, anyone listening, another voice saying you can reach recovery. So please hold on to that and don't believe in that myth that, you know, you can't ever get there because you can. Um, so um, I appreciate all all of the information you've provided. This is such a great resource. Um, I know we're getting close to ending here. I don't know if you have any last words for anyone who's listening. I mean, I cannot thank you enough for the last, I don't even know how long it's been. I could definitely talk to you forever. Um, but, you know, again, just, you know, reiterating that that there is help and that there is hope, that, that there is life beyond eating disorders. Um, and if you're an individual that you don't have to go through this alone, um, or if you're a loved one, you don't have to go through this alone, please reach out to the Alliance. We are here for you. Um, we're very readily accessible. Our team of providers are always here to answer your, fo- your phone, your emails, your direct messages, whatever feels right. Um, and we have a lot of fun and exciting stuff coming up during Mental Health Awareness Month, ensuring that eating disorders are part of the conversation. We have an amazing four-part Instagram live series that's covering everything from eating disorders in the Asian community to male identifying folks in eating disorders to weight stigma in the medical community. So whatever we can do, um, please know that we are here and we're just a phone call, an email, a smoke signal, however you want to reach us. We're we're here always. And I will have all the links to the Alliance uh, in the show notes. So head over to the website after the show if you want to get those. I also have them on all my social media. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you for you know being here and for doing all the work you're doing. It's fantastic. Thank you. And thank you for being another voice and another helper. And, you know, I... I you know, I, I will say the last two years have given me even more gratitude for all of our clinicians that that are doing the damn hard thing in a time that hasn't been easy. So thank you for everything that you've done for so many people. Then this is, this is my mission. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> couldn't do anything else. So thank you again. And uh, like I said, um, hope, hope lots of people go and visit the Alliance after this. I'm sure they will. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take good care. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.